As I said, we're beginning at chapter 12, verse 1, on page 11. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. It took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The next bit we're going to read is from chapter 15 and you'll find that on page 13 of the Bibles. We're starting at verse 1 and going to 21. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit it, my estate, is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, 
but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Then we turn to chapter 17, which you'll find on page 15, reading 1 to 27. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old, must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. 
My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Minister here, it's great to be with you, especially if you're new or visiting. I don't know if you've seen this uh, ad before, uh, Ancestry.com. You might have seen it on TV or online. Uh, basically, if you sign up, they get your DNA and they do all these tests on it. And from those tests, they're able to work out who your ancestors were. I actually know one or two people who, who did this. And, and I, I can kind of see why. It's about finding who you are, right, from who you've come from. You know, if we can understand a bit more about our ancestors, the very people who gave us our DNA, who passed our DNA to us, maybe we'll see, you know, why we're like who we are. And so in the ad, uh, there's, there's a guy who finds out his ancestor is a Viking sailor, and he's like, oh, that's why I love swimming. For me, I'm not sure um, they'll find much. You know, there's, there's quite a lot of Chinese people in the world. The, the sample size is probably too big, right? Um, I don't know anything beyond my grandparents. Um, and actually, at my grandma's funeral, uh, my uncle sat me and the cousins down. And he sat us down and he started sharing these stories about grandma. 
And it was a really nice family moment as cousins because our grandma, she, she had all these personality traits that we could start to see in each one of us as, as her grandchildren, in the cousins. There were echoes of her in each of us. And her story is pretty crazy, you know. She escaped uh, to Hong Kong during World War II, and if she didn't do that, I'm not sure I'd be here with you in Australia right now. You know, her story has shaped my story. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is the first book of the Bible, and we started looking at Genesis last year. We looked at the first 11 chapters, and over the next few months, we'll continue the Genesis story as it focuses on one man, Abraham, and his family. Now, Abraham, uh, he's seen by many as their great ancestor, not just by Jews, but also by many Muslims too. But the Bible's claim is that Abraham's true descendants are Christians. Uh, so this is one of many New Testament verses that say this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or offspring. So, friends, look around you. Look at the people sitting around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ. As we look at the story of Abraham, we're like a family sitting together learning the story of our ancestor. And as we hear this story, my prayer is that we'll see echoes of our own story too. Now, if you're here exploring the Christian faith, uh, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that as you listen to this story too, at least you'll come to know what it means to be a Christian. We've called this series Mercy for a Messy Family. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be messy, but to be shown mercy and grace by God. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. Uh, grace means getting what you don't deserve. It's the opposite sides of the same coin, if you know what I mean. Now, it's a big story, isn't it? There's lots to read. And we can't cover everything, but we'll zoom into some key moments of this story between God and Abraham, and we'll see God's grace, God's grace to Abraham. And we'll also see how Abraham responds to that grace. So uh, how about I pray for help? Our Heavenly Father, as we look at this story from your word, help us see who we are and help us to see who you are so that we can trust and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're at Genesis chapter 12, God's gracious core. And so look with me uh, from verses 1 to 3. On page 11, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now these are actually the most important verses in the whole book of Genesis. And one of the most important in the whole Bible. God calls this man Abram. Uh, his name is not Abraham yet. The God of the universe specifically calls this one man Abram, and he calls him to leave his home behind and to go to another country that he can't yet see. It's a big ask. It's a big call, isn't it? And notice, it comes with big promises. Just look again at these promises that God gives him in verses 2 to 3. God promises to make Abram into a great nation. He promises to bless him. He promises to make his name or his reputation great. He promises that Abraham will be a blessing to others, that whoever blesses Abraham will be blessed. Indeed, the whole world, God says, will be blessed through this one man, Abraham. They're big promises. 
and actually bigger than you think. You see, blessing has been very rare in Genesis so far. In the story of Genesis 1 to 11, if you could graph the story of Genesis so far, it looked like this. Just one big downward fall. Since chapter 3, humanity and the world is cursed under sin for rejecting God. After that, Cain kills his brother Abel, and death now enters the world. It rules this broken world. And the evil of humanity gets so bad that God floods the world. And even actually in rescuing Noah and his family and starting again, the whole world, by the time we get to chapter 11 of Genesis, the whole world comes together against God at this place called Babel, against God to make a name for itself. This is a picture of the whole of humanity united against God. And it's at that very moment, the lowest point of the story, if you will, that that moment that God calls Abram. It's a turning point. It's a turning point. In a world that's full of curse, God chooses to bless this one man. In a world that has gotten together to make a name for itself, God promises to make Abram's name great. See, through Abram, the world that is under curse has a chance to be blessed by God. Now, the other thing that is really outrageous about God calling Abram is, well, who is he? Why did God choose Abram? Out of all the millions of people in the world, why does God choose to bless this one man, Abram? Does God say, Abram, you know, I think you're the most likable guy around, so I'm going to bless you. Does he say to Abram, you're the most moral or religious or upright person around, so I'm going to bless you? No, he doesn't say that. This is really important for us. See, the hero of the story is not Abram, it's God. God is the one who acts. He initiates all this. And God acts in grace. In grace. There's nothing about Abram that deserves God's blessing. Uh, we're going to see this a lot in Genesis. And it's going to comfort and challenge us at the same time. You know, why do you think God has called you? Why has God chosen you to be his redeemed child in Christ if you're a Christian? If you're tempted to think that it's because you're pretty decent and if there's a line in the sand separating good people and bad people, you'd probably be on the side that says good people. If you're thinking that, then the story of Genesis is going to challenge you. But on the other hand, if you know deep down that you're messy, you know that there's nothing in you, there's nothing you deserve from God except for his judgment, then this story of Genesis the story of God's grace to a messy man and his family is going to be the most soul-healing comfort to you. See, just like Abram is called to leave his old life behind to go to a new home that he can't see, the New Testament says that Christians, we're called by this very same God. We're called to leave our old life behind and to journey towards his heavenly home that we can't see yet. And God has chosen you. He's chosen to call you all out of his grace, all out of his grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Now in verse 3, we're the peoples of the earth that are blessed through Abraham, through Abraham's great descendant, Jesus Christ. I will see that a bit more clearly in chapter 22 of Genesis. But here in chapter 12, we see God's grace, God's grace in calling Abraham, God's grace, we see that. And we also see Abraham's faith. You see, faith is the right response to God's grace. And just have a look at verse 4. Three words. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. 
Abraham just goes. He leaves it all behind. He sets out on this crazy journey, all because he trusts God. It's grace and also faith. Uh, and grace and faith don't just mark the beginning of Abraham's story, but it marks it throughout. So if you turn over to chapter 15, in verse, uh, chapter 15, so it's on page 13. Now, in between, there are some question, questionable things that happen between chapter 12 and chapter 15. So firstly, after being called by God, Abraham heads down to Egypt, and there he passes off his wife as his sister. He does that so that Pharaoh would do something to her and not something horrible to him. It's horrible. It's wrong. But thankfully for him, God intervenes, and he saves what could have been a disaster. And again, it's God showing mercy to a sinful man who doesn't deserve it. Uh, in chapter uh, 13 and 14, uh, Abraham's nephew Lot, he gets kidnapped, and so Abraham goes on this rescue mission, which succeeds, and he ends up with all this wealth. But the one thing he still doesn't have is a child. The child count for Abraham is still zero. And so at the start of chapter 15, we see Abraham struggling and wrestling with God. He says in verse 2, uh, this is God's gracious covenant. He says, Abraham says in verse 2, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? He's wrestling with God's word that promised him offspring. And, and so in verse 4, God, in his grace, he reassures him. He says, um, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God says, you will have a son. He reassures him. And God then takes him, in this really beautiful picture, he takes him outside to show him the uncountable stars in, in the sky. And he says, so shall your offspring be. You see how Abraham, uh, Abraham wrestles with God. He wrestles with God's word. And see how God speaks to Abram and reassures him. And see that God really likes this in Abram. In verse 6, we, we hear this. Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. Firstly, Abram believed God. He had faith in God. See, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's unbelief. Faith is tested by doubts and wrestling with God's word. That's what we see here. Now, secondly, Abram's faith made him righteous in God's sight. God saw him as good and acceptable, not because he kept the rules or did good works, but because he had faith. And do you see how this echoes our story too? See, you're righteous if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, God sees you as righteous, as good and acceptable to Him in His eyes. Not because you're really good and you do lots of good works, not because you keep the rules, not because of your moral behavior, but only because of your faith in Christ. You are justified. That's the word of being declared righteous. You're justified by faith alone, just like Abraham. And like Abraham, God makes a gracious covenant with us. That's what happens next in this story in, verse, in chapter 15. A, a covenant is another word for a pact or a formal agreement. So you might think of a contract, for example, like an employment contract. If you're ever doubting whether you'll get paid by your employer, you can always go back to your employment contract, right? Which says that uh, on the 15th day of every month, you'll be paid X amount of dollars if you continue to fulfill your obligations as an employee to the company. It's like a covenant, if you will. That's the point of covenants. And often in making a covenant, you need some sort of ritual, 
And so for the contract, it's, you know, both parties sign. That's the ritual. And back in Abraham's time, there's a different kind of ritual that, you can, that we read about in verses 8 onwards of chapter 15. And as we look at this scene of this ritual, it feels like it's come from an abattoir or like a butcher or something like that. There's all these animals that are cut in half, right? Now, if you were able to pick up a commentary and read uh, about this, you'll find that this is part of their culture. Uh, back then, uh, if two people wanted to make an agreement or a pact or a vow, uh, they would cut up all these animals and they'd place them on either side. Uh, and then both people, both parties of this covenant would walk in between the pieces. And it was kind of a way of saying, if I don't fulfill my promise to you, for example, if I don't come to your help if your farm is getting attacked, then let me be like these cut up animals. But I want you to notice what happens in this story in verse 17 particularly. Remember, the two parties in this covenant are God and Abram. But notice in verse 17, it's only God in the form of fire and smoke. It's only God that passes, that walks between the pieces of, uh, of animal. Only God. Abram is asleep. He doesn't do this. Now, this is really important for us. This covenant that God makes with Abram to bless him, to give him descendants, to, make, to give him land. There are no requirements for Abram. He needs to do nothing to get this except trust God. God is the one who does everything. God does it all in this covenant. And do you see God's grace? Do you see God's grace here? You see, we doubt and wrestle with God's promises too. You know, how do I know God really loves me and is for me when this thing is happening in my life? How do I know I'm truly forgiven by God when I keep committing that same sin over and over again and I feel so guilty? How do I know I'll go to eternal life when I'm facing the last days of my life and I feel nothing inside? You know, where do we look to in these moments as Christians? Christians, we look to Jesus Christ, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed on the cross for us, whose death on the cross inaugurated a new covenant, a new agreement that God makes with us. And there are no conditions for us too in this covenant through Christ. We need to do nothing except trust Christ. God does it all in His Son. And that's God's gracious covenant to us, you know, covenant made by his own blood. He promises us that we're right with him if we trust him. We don't have to earn our forgiveness. We don't have to earn eternal life. We just receive it from God by faith in him. And friends, that's God's grace. And God's grace doesn't end there. In chapter 17, uh, God's gracious sign. Uh, this sign in chapter 17, you flick over to the next page, the sign is circumcision. Uh, that's the sign. If you don't know what circumcision is, I'm sorry, I'm not going to explain it, but what I'm going to say is that it's a sign. It's God's sign to his covenant um, here in verse 11. It's a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, a lot of people get a bit confused by this covenant in chapter 17. They read verses 1 and 2, and you might like to follow this along, uh, where God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you and you will greatly increase your numbers. It's easy to read this and see that 
maybe God is making another covenant with Abraham, a covenant that's different to the one he made in chapter 15, which we just saw. And it looks like this covenant maybe is conditional. Abraham, does he have to be blameless in order for God to, to bless him with descendants? Now, I think there's two problems with that reading. Uh, firstly, in the original Hebrew language, there's no hint, there's no obvious hint that says, if you're blameless, uh, God says, then I'll make a covenant with you. There's, there's nothing in the original language that says the if and the then. And secondly, and more importantly, it kind of goes against what we've seen already in chapter 15 and also what the rest of the Bible says, which says that there's only one covenant that God makes with Abraham, and it's solely based on God's grace. Uh, it's not conditional on Abraham's good works. Uh, he just needs to receive it by faith. So what's going on here in chapter 17? God's not making a new covenant with Abraham. He's actually reminding him of the original covenant that he has made with him. He's also revealing more about what this covenant will be like. So, you know, you might have noticed God mentioning that there'll be kings now that come from Abraham. He tells the story of what will happen to Israel in Exodus. But also he gives Abraham a new name. It's Abraham. He's saying to Abraham, because of my covenant with you, because I've shown you grace, you're a new person now. And I want to make you to be someone who walks blamelessly and faithfully before me. You see, there's a bit of context here. In the chapter before, in chapter 16, Abraham, again, we see how messy and foolish he can be. Him and Sarah, his wife, don't have a son, and so they both decide that Abraham should sleep with the maid, with Hagar, and have a son with her. It's a really messy story in Abraham's life. And so here in chapter 17, God is reminding Abraham, remember the covenant I made with you. Because I've shown you grace, because I've made this covenant with you, because I've called you, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be a new person. I want you to live a new way. I want my grace to transform you. My promises to you, trust me, they will happen. Don't worry. You will have a son with Sarah, he says. You might laugh at that, which Abraham does in verse 17, but God says, I tell you what, when he comes next year, name him Isaac, because that means laughter in, in the language, because then you'll be laughing with joy and excitement and happiness. Uh, some people think that God chose the sign of circumcision um, because that's connected to what Abraham did in, uh, to Haggai in, in chapter 16, if you know what I mean, but perhaps there's another reason. See, the thing about circumcision, circumcision is, I don't know, there's no going back if you've it's, it's permanent. When you've done it, you've done it. But notice what God says about this covenant with Abraham. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. See, just like circumcision is permanent, so is God's relationship with Abraham and his descendants. Now, the Jews, particularly at the time of Jesus, they misunderstood this. They misunderstood circumcision. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, you read in the New Testament, uh, spent a lot of time explaining that circumcis uh, circumcision was just a sign. It didn't actually make you any closer to God. He was pointing to something else. And the Bible does say that throughout the Old Testament. Uh, God wants a circumcision of our hearts in Deuteronomy 30, so that we love him with all our heart. And to do this, God promised to put his spirit in your hearts 
to help him, to help us to love him, to transform us. This is one of the prophecies in Ezekiel, that God will give us his spirit. And the circumcision of the heart by God's spirit, it's something that's permanent. And this is what Paul says in the New Testament. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When we believe, God gives us his spirit. And this spirit is with us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of eternal life. The spirit in us reminds us that we will inherit eternal life. He is with us until the very end. A lot of people, I think, misunderstand Christianity. They think it begins with God's grace to us, that we experience God's grace. Uh, the moment we're converted, the moment we first choose to uh, follow and believe in Christ. And then afterwards, they think that it's all up to us. You know, it's all up to us now to, to keep going, to keep believing, to keep obeying God. And I want to say no. The Christian story has God's grace at the beginning, and it has God's grace in the middle, and it has God's grace at the end. It's God's grace at every point of our story. The song that we'll sing in just a moment, it's called Grace Alone. It says this in the very last verse. It says, so I'll, run, I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. God's grace is your story if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are a messy, sinful, broken person. But Christ has shown you grace in calling you out of darkness into his light. And Christ has shown you grace by making you righteous, good, and acceptable in God's sight through his death on the cross. And Christ continues to show you grace by giving you his spirit. And his spirit helps you trust in him. It helps you journey towards your heavenly home. As we see our story through this story of our ancestor Abraham, I hope you actually see that it's the story of God's grace to you. I hope you see God. This is a God full of grace. If you're someone here and you don't yet know this God, he's calling you. He's calling you. You're a messy person. You don't deserve God's blessing. You're sinful. Yet God is graciously offering to bless you and to make you his. He's calling you to follow him, to leave your old self behind, to be a new person, and to come to his heavenly home that is beyond this life. Will you, like Abraham, trust him? Will you, like Abraham, go? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so undeserving of all you've given us. By your grace, you've called us to be your people. By your grace, you've chosen to be our God and to make us right with you by the work of your Son. By your grace, you've given us your Spirit to transform us, to remind us of our heavenly home and to help us get there. Give us faith to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.